Hey, welcome everybody. It's Weekend Report on Sooner Politics. Glad to have you with us uh, this uh, Saturday evening. It's been quite a weekend. I hope you're not gaining as much weight as uh, the rest of us. Hope you're staying as healthy as possible. And it's time to shut the music up. Thank you. Need to fire my sound man, except I'm the sound man tonight. Yeah, that's right. We're practicing quarantine here, and my wife doesn't understand how to run this thing. So, you got me tonight. It's good to see you. We've got a lot of things going on here. Let's get right into it. First of all, it is Easter weekend, Saturday night. Hope you're having a good weekend. Hope your family's finding ways to observe this uh, solemn uh end of the lentil season uh, as um, my catholic mother calls it and uh, hope you're enjoying uh, the fresh air and the springtime as much as you can get out and around let's talk about what's going on first of all the big news of the last what couple of months has been the uh, global pandemic and we've got some fresh numbers for you tonight let's pull those up right now Okay, well, let's see. <laughs> Got to get out of the way here of this big screen. I want to blow it up as big as I could so you could see uh, just what's going on here with uh, this bar chart. Okay, what you see is every day for the last, oh, close to a month, and you see the yellow bars that tells us how many new cases have been diagnosed, that means tested. Tested not for antibodies, but tested for the actual virus uh, being present. So now you see what's going on here in about the last 10 days is all of a sudden they opened up the testing more. We got a hold of more tests. We weren't just testing those who are close to death and then wondering why our rate of death is so high. Uh, sadly, the death rate hasn't really come down. Now, it's been bouncing up and around, but earlier this week, we had 16 people dying one day. Spiked us up to a 5% death rate. Now, that's not good news if you're a retiree. But if you're under 65, the death rate is less than 1% on this. And obviously, that's more likely could it be likely comorbidity is the term they mean. It means you've already got a number of issues that you're struggling with. Now, there have been some just devastating cases where, you know, you think they could do it over again, probably do it better. Uh, so we're going to uh, take a look at that. Uh, but let's take a look at what's going, gone on in the last few days. Uh, we had, like I say, the 16 reported deaths. Now, that's going to be the lower bar, the red bar, uh, down low. As you can see, we spiked up one day about uh, five, five, six days ago to 16. Since then, we've come down. Now, the next day wasn't all that great, but then uh, three days ago, we were down to one death in the state. So, um and, you know, we've not jumped back over 10 since then. Could this be that we're already on the downside? I doubt it. The, the actual case numbers keep rising. Again, this isn't total cases. This is total new cases. What we're looking at is the rate of growth. Something you've heard bantied about is the term exponential. That means, you know, when you triple three, you get nine. When you triple nine, you get 27. 
When you triple 27, I don't know the answer, okay? I didn't write it down. But again, that's called exponential growth. The explosion, the chain reaction, if you will, what we're seeing is a containment of that part of it. So even though we're growing, this is where they talk about on the bell curve that we might likely be seeing uh, kind of nearing the top of the hill, if you will, where we're getting ready perhaps to reach the peak. Now the models, the national and global models, predict that we're going to hit that peak. That means the most active cases uh, in about 10 days. Okay. But again, these are models. They have drastically changed these models since uh, a month ago. All right. A couple months ago, they were talking, you know, we might be facing 2 million deaths in the United States. Um, now they're saying probably not even 100,000. So, Anyway, uh, so there's that chart. Now, here's a, a better uh, picture to go with uh, what we were first talking. Well, we just went into the next story. Stop there. So anyway, uh, that's the news on uh, the pandemic. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the politics with the pandemic. Uh, <clears throat> about a week and a half ago, uh, we had actually, the governor was found out to have been applying a riot emergency law. This is again coming from a blogger and attorney, uh, <clears throat> uh, Frank Urbanic from Oklahoma City. And shortly after he published that, the governor reconvened and called what we were supposed to call from the beginning, a health emergency. If it was a riot, civil unrest, then the governor gets special powers. But if you call for a health emergency, then the state health director, if you will, or whoever has, whatever you call that title, the state director, in this case, it would be our commissioner of public health, uh, would actually have emergency rulemaking powers. So we did that. It also called for the legislature to convene within 48 hours at 8 in the morning. They did that Monday morning. Uh, John Eccles uh, uh, made the call and, well, actually it would be Charles McCall did, but Eccles pretty much is in charge of hurting the cats, if you will, in the legislature, did a fine job. They organized the Monday morning meeting very well, very healthy, very structured, orderly, and they got a lot done in a very quick amount of time. Unfortunately, the Rule 15 that Eccles uh, spearheaded the passage of just last month, he said, we're going to pass it and then we're never going to use it. Sadly, the next day they met, which was this last Monday, they used it first thing. That calls for proxy voting. The reason why is you had about 10%, maybe 15% that just for one reason or another, couldn't or shouldn't be there okay i don't have the inside details on that because again some of it may be private health history and we respect that but they uh certified the proxy voting and it was a pretty thorough process of certifying it and then they um <clears throat> they passed the governor's call governor doesn't get to just rule that we're in emergency and just take power. 
the legislature has to agree with him and then grant him 30 days power. So we got that done. Again, the legislature at any time can revoke that. So if there's an abuse of that power, okay, that may likely happen. The emergency rulemaking does not extend to municipalities or counties. Let me repeat that. Bristol, are you listening? Altus, are you listening? Guthrie, are you listening? You don't get to call emergencies and have state statutes support whatever edict, especially you, Bristow, especially any of you who just have a mayor decides that he's going to be the king and start making rules like curfews, like uh, you can't have visitors, uh, or like uh, you can't even stop and say hi to somebody 10 feet away on the street or you know things like that. You can't say that a church can't convert their parking lot to a drive-in church service where everybody sits in their car and tunes into a local, a low-frequency, low-power FM tuner and listen to the church and have some semblance of being community. This cannot stand. And fortunately, the people of Oklahoma are exerting their constitutional rights because even in this emergency, the governor, the state, the power is limited. And I appreciate the good sense of the people of Oklahoma. And look, we're for the most part being rather behaved, rather responsible. Fact is, people are a lot nicer now that we aren't in each other's face all the time. So uh, and we're getting to where we kind of miss people, even people that maybe are a little bit difficult to deal with. All right, so that's the report of what's going on uh, politically with the virus and medically with the virus. And I want to say a special uh, hooray for my good friend, Dr. Chris Suddeth. He's one of the uh, physicians working at the um, uh, Jane Phillips uh, Hospital in Bartlesville. Chris was doing his job and following protocols. Unfortunately, the protocols were screwed up and he got the COVID virus while trying to take care of somebody else. He was putting on the proper mask to protect himself when the hospital people told him he can't do that. He's got to save that for people who are known cases, not suspected cases. Guess what? Yeah, they held off the testing. They didn't make the tests available. The doctors basically had to risk themselves. Chris had a tough time. He writes about it, or actually, re, you know, uh, shared the report with Channel 8 in Tulsa. You can pull it up on KTUL.com's website. But Chris, you're a good man. You're a good Oklahoman. Chris has helped the legislature quite a bit on medical issues, especially mental health advocacy, and working with Senator Joe Newhouse on policy matters uh, with some of the bills that Joe's been spearheading. So let's move on. Uh, don't you get sick of talking about the virus? Don't you get sick about being the only thing in the news? Let's turn to election politics, will you? All right, let's move on. You see these guys? This is uh, Rick West, George Fott, Mike Christian, former lawmakers in the Oklahoma House. They've left the House. Now they're going back. Uh, Rick West just served one term and then decided not to run two years ago. Now he's back in the race. This is over there by Hevener along the uh, 
the Arkansas border, great area, beautiful. I don't know why he wants to drive to Oklahoma City. He lives in God's country. I mean, it's beautiful. I've been by his house. Excellent, excellent. But anyway, Rick's providing good representation in the past. Now he wants to serve there again. This is an unusual thing. George fought. George is going back for his third tour of duty. George was a state representative when he decided to run for uh, Congress 2012. It was an open seat. He got into a runoff with Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, narrowly lost that, and uh, went back. And then, of course, uh, two years ago, he was uh, one of the casualties of the bloodletting going on within the Republican Party in the House, the Republican Caucus. Uh, unfortunately, some of his colleagues in the Republican side decided to raise funds to, to boot him out. Well, George is coming back. And then Mike Christian. Mike ran for sheriff not too long ago uh, against Wetzel. Unfortunately, Mike didn't get the support from his own GOP uh, that he needed. And unfortunately, uh, he didn't win. We could have got rid of Wetzel over there in Oklahoma County a lot sooner. But anyway, Mike is uh, coming back for uh, another tour of duty, uh, serving his Midwest City State House District. Of course, George is from Mus uh, Muskogee. I forgot to mention that. And Rick, of course, uh, comes from Hevener, way over there. Uh, you know, when you get off of Highway 1, the, the Talamina Drive, and you get off before the border, you go north and you go right by Rick's place. Gorgeous place, gorgeous place. So these guys are coming back and they're not the only ones. It's it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, what I wanna talk about is the Democrats only challenged in about half of the legislative seats. That's right. Um, I think there was, uh, what, 53 seats that it there was no Democrat challenger. Now, some of them, there were a couple of Republicans, maybe an independent or libertarian running for the seat. Uh, but several, the Republicans already guaranteed 53 of the seats in the legislature next session. 53 are already securely in Republicans' hands. That means either the a candidate went unopposed, an incumbent unopposed, or maybe there's two Republicans running for it. So that's that's the situation there. In the Senate side, I think there's six Republican senators out of the 24 who are normally up uh, in an open, you know, Senate every two years, half of them go up because it's a four-year term. So, uh, and then there is one special uh, seat because uh, Jason Smoligo, Senator Smoligo, did resign. So that's what you've got going on there. I was reading um, a little bit on social media, the mayor of a little suburb in Oklahoma City area called The Village was just furious at the Democrat Party for not mounting challenges more. And uh, Democrat Party's got some infighting. The radical Bernie Sanders bunch, yeah, the radical Bernie Sanders bunch, has got some issues. They really got some issues. And, uh, you know, Bernie won four, year, four years ago in the party against Hillary Clinton. So that's one of the uh, little stories that is all about this filing period. Let's move on to the next one now. And... <clears throat> All right, we're bringing the band back together. 
So said Elwood and Jake. It's <laughs> a little bit of fun we had with the meme. I, I reached out yesterday to, to uh, Sean Roberts. Uh, Sean there uh, over on what well, I guess you would call your right. Sean uh, and uh, Chuck Strom uh, are donning the Elwood uh, position. Uh, we're the founders of the Platform Caucus. Uh, what? Three, four, three years ago now. And that led to uh, pretty strong rallied positions against uh, the largest tax increases in Oklahoma history. And there was probably a dozen or so of them, loosely, I'd say, you know, depending on the issue, that just said, no, this is not what our party stands for. This is not what I ran on. And this is breaking faith with my constituents. And so... Um, these guys uh, were part of that famous platform caucus. Well, Sean's back. He's unopposed for another term. Chuck is not back himself. I talked to him at a Christmas party this year, and uh, he said, man, he says, business is going really good for me right now. I am not interested in going back. And, you know, I stood there with him and his wife and I said, now I tell you who'd be a good candidate is Angela here, your wife. I said, she might be a better debater than you. She studies the issues, very knowledgeable. And so anyway, sure enough, sure enough. Angela announced that she's running for the seat that was uh, formerly held by her husband, Chuck. This would be Jinx. And Jinx, uh, I guess, going a little bit uh, south towards Glenpool and then maybe a little more over towards, towards Bixby. So Angela is going to be running for that seat. So you're going to have... a a uh, chance that you might see a Strom and a Roberts, it just won't be the same Strom there. So she's one of the interesting uh, people that uh, is going to be a race to watch because it's uh, up against a very, very uh, well-funded and supported race by the incumbent Sheila Dills. Sheila, of course, won in a race against her husband, um, against uh, Chuck. So that's the case there. And there's one more I want to talk to you about. Well, let's see. Let's see if we can get this one. Yeah, this guy. This guy, Steve Copeland. Steve's a nice enough guy. I tell you what, you know, you don't get along with Steve. It's probably your fault. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. He's a country Democrat from Okima. Fact is, uh, a few years ago, when Scott Inman uh, unceremoniously left the House, the Democrat caucus in the House put Steve in charge. And Steve helped steer the Democrat caucus through some very tough times, uh, a couple of um, special sessions, and then, of course, um, the 2018 spring regular session. And then he sat there on the um, bicameral uh, interim study, what we call the joint study on medical marijuana, instead of being back there in his district campaigning. Well, Steve lost that race, maybe because he was busy serving Oklahoma, trying to make sense of a 
amateur written medical marijuana law that the people passed overwhelmingly. Well, Steve left. Steve now is coming back. What makes this interesting is when he was at that medical marijuana interim study, the first day of the study, I came early and I went up to his office. There was nobody else on, I don't think anybody else on the whole floor, at least certainly not his wing uh, on the north side of the house. I went in, there was his secretary there, excuse me, LA, and uh, sat down with Steve, nice enough guy, and I introduced myself. I said, you know, I'm probably not as well known amongst the Democrats, but uh, you might call me a Tea Party Republican. You know what Steve said to me? He says, you know, Dave, he says, when the Tea Party first started, it was just as much Democrat as it was Republican. You know, I kind of surprised. I said, well, tell me more. And Steve said, you know, <clears throat> the reason the Democrats were just as much against uh, or just as much identifying Tea Party is because it was the, the bailouts, the TARP, the, the stimulus. It was bailing out the big boys, or the too big to fail. But the mom and pop's businesses got nothing. The working family's got nothing. And I looked at him. I said, Steve, you're the first person I've talked to in this building who gets it. So, yeah, Steve's a Democrat, okay? He's going to vote Democrat on things, and he's going to vote for things that I wouldn't vote for, I wouldn't support. But the interesting thing here is he's somewhat in no man's land because there's just less than a handful of rural Democrats left in our state house. You've got Meredith up there in uh, Tahlequah, and he's doing his best. He's going to vote for every gun rights thing, okay, 2A, all of it, because he doesn't, <laughs> you know, Don Spencer and the gun rights people breathing down his back. Plus, his constituents are all hunters, outdoorsmen, sportsmen. They enjoy shooting sports, and they enjoy taking responsibility for their own self-defense. You got uh, Ben Loring up there in Miami. He's barely, barely squeaked back into office. And Miami's always been a pretty strong Democrat area. Uh, out there in Chickasha, you got David Perryman. He's not even running again. And then you go down there to Little Dixie and uh, Johnny Tadlock left the Democrat Party and joined the Republicans. You know what? He's more conservative than probably most of the Republicans. The Democrats, the rural Democrats in Oklahoma, are fairly conservative. But the party has been taken over by the radical socialists and even the communists. Uh, it's largely an Oklahoma City party and somewhat lesser degree Tulsa metro area Democrats. And fact is, Democrats are somewhat getting ready to take over the whole Oklahoma City metro area. Uh, they're running a very strong candidate against Brian uh, Mon for the uh, county commission there. And in fact, uh, you know, it's just, there's three seats on there. There's a Democrat seat and a Republican seat Kevin Calvey has. And then Brian Mon, uh, if they lose that one, the Democrats take over control. And it'll deeply affect things like, um, are they going to be a sanctuary county? Uh, you know, a number of the uh, things. Now, there's some things I'll support the Democrats. I'll side with the Democrats with on some things. Uh, they are advocating for better care in our public mental health. Uh, 
criminal justice reform. I don't believe we are the most evil state in society, and yet our prisons seem to indicate otherwise. So we are working on that. Let's get back to talking to Steve, about Steve. Steve um, is going to have to, now keep in mind, his son, Sean Copeland, is uh, Governor Stitt's uh, Commerce Secretary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so uh, where's, uh, where's Sean going to come down in this? Is Sean going to help campaign for dad like most families expect the kids to help dad get uh, win his race? Or is Sean going to declare himself neutral? Or is he going to say, no, nah, I'm a Republican. I'm part of a Republican governor's cabinet. I'm going to support the Republican. Well, the Republican in this one is Logan Phillips. Interesting guy. Logan pretty much destroyed the notion that you got to have lots of money to win in a uh, state house race. Logan didn't raise a dime. Logan faced primary opponents, then a runoff opponent, a very well-managed runoff opponent, and still beat him, and then took on Steve, the Democrat caucus leader in the House, and beat him. And Logan Phillips didn't raise any money, didn't spend any other than his own money. Now, Logan was a popular educator from Okima. Now he's got a seek re-election, Logan Phillips says, on his voting record as a lawmaker. That will be interesting. So watch that race. That's going to be one to watch. You're going to want to watch the, the Mike Christian trying to get back into the House in a rather Democrat area of Oklahoma City. George Fott's going to try to take on Sneed and get his old seat back. Uh, Rick West and he stepped out, didn't get defeated. Now he wants back in. Lundy Kiger's the incumbent. We'll have to see what goes on there. And then, you know, Sheila Dills and the machine, the chamber and education machine, going to prevail against uh, Angela Strong. So those are just a few of the races, and there's plenty more. We'll be talking about some of them. But anyway, the, the truth is, I think it's 43 people, 43 Republicans, I think it is, got reelected this week just because nobody ran against them. So anyway, that's the news. That's what's going on in uh, Oklahoma on this weekend. I appreciate you uh, letting me part of, be part of your evening. Uh, let's uh, click off some of these others. And oh, got one more thing. One more thing. I want to introduce a couple of people to you. The young lady here is um, Liza Grebe. Liza is the most unlikely grassroots, grassroots leader. I don't think she was ever expecting to be doing this. But Liza is a mama. She calls herself a mama bear. She's one of the moms and dads that are storming the Capitol on a fairly frequent basis. They're trying to protect and restore parental rights health-making rights, uh, education rights for parents. There's just a number of things that they're, I tell you what, they are respected at the Capitol. And they're also funding campaigns. They're recruiting candidates. They play effective. Uh, and uh, 
I want to commend her. Then the gentleman next to her, Don Spencer. Don has organized the OK2A to a whole new level. Now, Tim Gillespie uh, founded the group a number of years ago and, uh, what, three, four years ago, stepped aside. And Don, who had just recently retired, decided to step up and fill the void. The first bill Governor Stitt signed was the Constitutional Carry Bill. Don did a lot of the heavy lifting to make sure it got full support. Uh, in fact, enough support that it would withstand a veto if that should happen again, such as what Governor Fallon had done. One of her last acts as a governor uh, when it comes to legislation was, in fact, that. So um, I want to commend those two people. And I want to tell you, if you grassroots, you want to get involved, uh, these are a couple of people I could plug for you. And uh, I'd say, you know what? Reach out to them on social media, the organizations. Don has a Facebook group called OK2A. And I'm sure he's got a website of somewhat the same uh, kind of, uh, you can Google it. And then uh, Oklahomans for Health and Parental Rights on social media, as well as their Facebook group is uh, Liza Grevy's uh, organization. And again, these two people tell you, they are not the dictators of the organization. They just happen to be the public face of it to a large degree, but there's hundreds and hundreds of people involved. So want to give a plug to those two people because I tell you what, we wouldn't have the good candidates running if we didn't have support for them. And these two people are part of what's organizing the grassroots to get, uh, get involved and make sure our voice is heard in the Capitol. So, it is Saturday night in Oklahoma. Happy Easter to everybody. And I want to thank you for being part of our weekend report. Good night.